Welcome to Cytovision and today's episode, Innovation Not Regulation. I'm Nigel Schweitzer and joined by co-host Francesca Lavoie. Afternoon, Frankie. Hi, Nigel. How are you? Pretty good. I'm delighted that today's guest is Andre Yanku, partner in Sullivan and Cromwell, but also well known as a former director at the US Patent Office. Pleasure to have you with us, Andre. Great to be with you, Nigel and Francesca. Well, thank you, Andre, for coming on the Cypher Vision podcast with us today. I was hoping we could kick off and find out a little bit more about your time as director of the USPTO and then also what you're currently doing now and the, the areas of IP that you're really passionate about. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I've been an IP lawyer for most of my professional life. Prior to being a lawyer, I was an engineer building satellites at Hughes Aircraft. But since I became a lawyer, I've been an IP lawyer and primarily patent and trademark litigation, but all sorts of IP counseling. Then I spent time in government. And then when I came out about two, three years ago, I went back to my regular practice, mostly IP litigation and broad-based counseling, which includes transaction and international deals and the like. But that has been and I think will continue to be my passion and my profession. Great. Well, thank you very much for that. And I think what we would like to do now is zone in on your views around the importance of patents. Why do we need to have strong IP rights? In a free market economy, people get to make business decisions based on economic considerations. And in the free market economy, such as in the United States, Western Europe and the like, it is, in my view, not possible to have innovation at scale without a robust system of intellectual property rights. So why is that? Well, innovation by definition is risky. By definition, you are creating something new and you do not know if it's gonna work. And as a matter of fact, the vast majority of new things, new inventions do not work. And on top of that, not only is it risky, It is costly to make new things, to experiment, to bring them to market, to create factories around the new technology and move it from the lab to the market. It costs on average two and a half billion US dollars to bring a new drug to the market. When you take into consideration the research and development, the regulatory clinical studies, and the like. And then in addition, It is easily replicable, usually, when successful. So for those individuals and companies that were willing to take the risk and make that investment and actually succeeded and brought something to market, there has to be some form of protection in order for their technology not to be appropriated immediately once upon introduced, because if that's the case, then nobody is going to make the investment and take the risks necessary. So that is what intellectual property laws are about. The second thing I would point out is that not only does intellectual property rights incentivize and protect innovation, it also facilitates the transfer of innovation and the collaboration surrounding innovation between companies. Without the rule of law and the protections provided by the IP system, it would be very difficult for competitors or for other companies to work with each other 
and transfer their technology and knowledge from one to the other to collaborate, to bring new technology to the market at even bigger scale. The intellectual property patents in particular are the currency of innovation. It allows the trade and the transactions once it's been created. And that is extremely important and useful as well. And I love the way you refer to it as the currency of innovation and thinking about that currency of innovation and the rule of law. Maybe we can focus in on some of the bills that are pending in the US Congress now. Is that advancing the rule of law in terms of protecting and strengthening IP rights? Well, there are some bills that are pending in the US Congress that I think are advancing the rule of law and strengthening the IP system. There are some others contemplated or passed bills that have gone the opposite direction. There is always a push and pull. But currently, there are a couple of major bills in the US that I think would go a long way to strengthening the US IP system. One of them is called PIRA, Patent Eligibility Restoration Act, and it deals with patentable subject matter, Section 101 of the U.S. Patent Code. That's the part of the U.S. Code that defines what is in and what is not in the patent system. And for the past decade or so, due to a series of Supreme Court decisions such as Mayo, Myriad, Alice, and Bilski, The U.S. system is mired in confusion when it comes to this part of the patent code. We are using an 18th century statute to apply it to 21st century technology. That's part of the reason why courts have created this confusion, because they're having a difficult time sometimes to figure out where some of these new technologies fit. Where do the advanced computing technologies like AI fit? It's very important that Congress modernize that statute and bring it into the 21st century. The second one that's currently pending is called the Prevail Act. The statute addresses post-grant proceedings, IPRs and PGRs, which were established more than a decade ago in the America Invents Act. And the statute just needs to be modernized, close up loopholes to ensure that if there are challenges that are being brought against the validity of a patent, that those challenges can be done well and they can be done once without multiple attacks on the patent so that the patent owner can eventually achieve some form of quiet title. So that bill would also go a long way uh, to close some loopholes that I think would be important. There's other issues to strengthen the U.S. patent system. Specifically, I think it would be good if Congress made it clear that injunctive relief is appropriate in certain circumstances when patents are found to be infringed and therefore restore the presumption of injunctions in the U.S. patent system. Congress passed in 2020 the Trademark Modernization Act, which included a presumption of irreparable harm when trademarks are found to be infringed. We should do a similar thing for the patent system. And so on on the one hand, we're talking about government bringing bills that actually strengthen IP rights. But you've also got regulation on the other hand. So how do the two play together in your view? Intellectual property is the system of laws, patent laws, copyright laws. They're statutory creations. In the United States, the 
right to patents and copyright is established in the Constitution in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8. And based on the constitutional provisions, Congress has introduced various patent acts and patent rights from the beginning of the country in 1790 and all the way through today. So it's a creature of statute. If we're going to have robust laws, reliable laws that folks can believe in and can build businesses around, then it's up to Congress to legislate on some of these important issues. If Congress abdicates its responsibility to legislate, such as on Section 101 of the Patent Code, well, courts step in, the administration steps in, and they have to do the best they can without appropriate legislation. That's why I think it's really important for Congress to modernize some of these statutes. And that would unleash the force of American innovation, where investment dollars and inventor energies can be brought to full bear in order for us to generate the innovation necessary to compete in the 21st century. I mean, just pulling out one very specific point post-COVID, there was a lot of discussion at the time about whether waivers or compulsory licensing should be implemented to allegedly encourage innovation. Do you regard that to be an appropriate check and balance for strong patents or good innovation, or is that counterproductive? It's counterproductive, Nigel, and entirely misguided. If you waive intellectual property rights, you almost certainly will create less innovation. As I mentioned, it's really expensive, risky to create new technology. And if people think that that will be, even if they invest the time and energy and dollars to create a new drug, for example, if it can be appropriated immediately upon launch and success, What's the investment? What's the incentive for them to do it? Take COVID therapeutics as a very real example. The WTO, the World Trade Organization, agreed about a year ago to waive patents with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. There's no evidence since then that that's made the NIOTA's worth of difference in the manufacturer distribution of vaccines around the world. Now, a year later, they're contemplating waiving patents for COVID-19 therapeutics, drugs that would treat the infection once somebody has the disease. We certainly would like to have more of those drugs. Companies should be encouraged to invest more, not less, in coming up with new drugs that treat COVID. As I said, it costs billions of dollars to bring such a new technology to the market. Think about this. What company, what CEO is going to decide to invest those billions to develop this new therapeutic, knowing ahead of time that if successful, it can immediately be copied and profitability will go to next to nothing. It will categorically have a disastrous effect on that immediate technology that they actually purport that they want to encourage. It will have the exact opposite effect. More importantly, It will shake the confidence of all investors in all areas of technology that if some government or collection of governments decide that their technology is in the midst of an emergency of sorts and that their IP rights can be waived ex post facto, and if that confidence is shaken, it will have a depressive effect 
with respect to the investment in these advanced and risky technologies. And this is not a hypothetical. Already, for example, folks at the WTO have been saying that climate change technologies, we should be waiving IP rights there because climate change is a worldwide emergency. And whatever you think about climate change, if you really want to help with new technologies to address climate change, you need to increase the protection and the ability to rely on intellectual property rights, not threaten people that if they are successful after a huge investment, that actually their IP rights will be taken away. And Andre, if you take that almost to the next stage, if IP rights are weakened, there's less innovation in whether it's climate change or drug development, that effectively ends up having an impact on human lives. Correct. Fewer innovations are being brought to the market and fewer people benefit. Drugs is a very good example of that, right? I mean, life-saving medicines, there's so much need for more drugs to address more diseases, not fewer. And if you're not incentivizing that investment and that activity, you're going to have fewer treatments, fewer cures, and less ability to help patients. Another aspect is, frankly, national in nature. If a particular country does not incentivize its own population to invent, then that capital will fly to countries that do. And other countries, undeterred, they will invest in their own innovation and they will take the leading role in the technologies of the future. And the reality is the West is facing this right now. The free market economies are in competition with China and others with respect to the technologies of the future, whether it's AI, quantum computing, autonomous vehicles, biotechnology, and the like. And 5G, 6G is another example, and other forms of telecom. And if the free market economies do not incentivize their companies to invest at the maximum of their ability in these risky technologies, then the field will be ceded to others. And from that perspective, weakening the IP system also is detrimental. We've strayed outside the US, which I think is a good thing to sort of understand what's happening in the geopolitical landscape. China's massively growing in terms of IP. How should the US be thinking about that? I think the US should be of two minds vis-a-vis China and IP. First, we should make sure that we impress upon China to stop stealing intellectual property. The OECD estimates that something like 85% of counterfeit goods in the international market comes from China and its territories. That's just got to stop. Second, China has become an innovation powerhouse and it continues to grow through its universities and innovative companies within its territory. With that in mind, and if it's done legitimately without stealing IP, that's good for humanity. The more innovation for humanity, the better. And frankly, healthy competition between companies and between nations when it comes to innovation, also good for humanity because it encourages more creativity and more innovation brought to the market. But having recognized that the Chinese are very focused on leading in some areas of technology of the future, such as artificial intelligence, 
telecom, quantum computing, and the like. Recognizing that the U.S. and its allies need to bear down to make sure that they do everything they can to increase innovation domestically. There's other things to do in free market economies to make sure that we maximize our innovation output, such as investment in research and development. So that's why I say that I think there's two prongs to the way we approach IP and China. One is to encourage them to stop IP theft. But the other one is inward looking. And it's even more important, in my opinion, to make sure that we maximize our innovation capability. And just thinking about maximizing that innovation, are we doing enough in terms of making sure that our innovators come from minority backgrounds and diverse communities? Yeah, so Francesca, that's a really important point because in the United States, at least, and I think this is true in UK and Europe as well, innovation is highly concentrated. And if we really want to maximize the innovation output, we need to enable all sectors of our economy to contribute to the innovation economy. So in the United States, for example, innovation is concentrated geographically, demographically, and economically. So most of innovation, most of patents in the United States are generated by inventors in a few cities. You can count on one hand on the coasts of the United States. Vast swaths of the United States do not participate in a significant way. And then innovation in the United States is highly concentrated demographically. For example, only 12 or 13% of inventors named on U.S. patents are women in today's world. The percentages are even lower for racial minorities, probably in the single digits. So what that means is that there are many, many Americans who do not participate in the innovation economy, and that's a shame. And we just will not be able to compete at the level we need to if that continues. So governments, industry, and academia need to come together, really, but each on their own, too. They need to do everything they can to bring more people into the innovation economy. And we know of your work at the USPTO, which has been continued by Director Vidal, who's also been on this podcast. But what do you see in your current activities that is being effective to bring about change? Every little bit helps. Every little bit matters, but frankly, it needs to come to the most local levels. Universities need to figure out themselves. How do they bring in new students into STEM programs? They need to work with lower grades like high schools and middle schools to cultivate kids who are interested in STEM and then make sure that they get into university programs and make sure that they graduate a more diverse field of engineers and scientists. And then companies, each one company individually needs to have a plan. How do they hire a more diverse workforce into their STEM jobs? And once they have them, there has to be some macro level type of an approach and oversight to make sure that we provide this type of access. I'll give you a very specific example. More than 50% of the US workforce is made up of women, okay? However, if you look at STEM and engineering jobs, science, engineering, and so on, you're talking only about 25, 
of those jobs are filled by women. So there is an issue with obviously having enough folks in the education pipeline and then hired into those jobs. But here's the most interesting part. Even though about 25% of STEM jobs are filled by women, still only 12 or 13% of inventors named on US patents are women. So what does this mean? This means that these companies have already hired and placed into jobs qualified women. And for some reason, they are inventing at half the rate of their male counterparts in those same companies. And this is a study that we did at the PTO. It's been published, uh, Promise and Potential Reports. And it cuts across industries. It cuts across technologies. Almost no matter what the industry is, to me, that is a problem that needs to be addressed first and foremost, because those are individuals that have already, you've already overcome the other hurdles. They had the interest, they've gotten the degrees, they got hired, they're now in the jobs. Thank you, Andre. It's, it's definitely a topic that we come back to time and time again on this Cypher Vision podcast. So changing tack a, a little bit, I just want to get your views on standard essential patents, specifically around the European Commission regulation. Will this foster more innovation in, in Europe? I think that's what the, the EU stated aim is. Yeah, so the European Commission is trying to regulate the licensing of standard essential patents. These are patents that are practiced by technologies necessary to a standard, such as telecom, 5G, 6G, and the like. Enforce your patents. You need to go through this new board they want to set up and try to get a rate from that board, potentially do an essentiality check and the like. And the stated goal for them is to enhance the transfer of those technologies, the licensing of those technologies, and therefore presumably to increase innovation in that space. In my opinion, it's going to have the exact opposite effect, very similar to the efforts to waive IP rights for COVID-19 technologies. So more regulation, more hurdles, making it more difficult to enforce patents will have a detrimental effect. And now if you're telling those people that actually succeed, make the investment, succeed, and get their technology adopted, you're telling them that they effectively cannot enforce those patents and others can implement those technologies at will for years on end without paying royalties. That makes it more difficult to invest in those technologies. An appropriate balance needs to be reached. There is no question with respect to any IP, but standards in particular. It's really important to encourage investment in innovation that's necessary for those standards. And at the same time, it's important to provide access to implement those technologies. So you need to have an appropriate balance. And you cannot do that with adding regulatory hurdles. Just to look for a, a glimmer of optimism in what the commission is trying to do, if at least if you read their preambles about reducing fragmentation and transaction costs, we speak a lot about data and the importance of high quality data to improve the closing of licensing transactions. Do you see 
positive steps in Europe about making people be clearer about which of their patents are essential as opposed to the huge mismatch there is at the moment between declared patents and essential patents? I do think, Nigel, that it would be a good thing to increase transparency into these issues. I just don't think you can achieve that successfully without harming the other side. It would be great if industry could come together and figure out the best approach to provide that transparency. Industry knows best on how to regulate itself. And already industry has come together to create these standards, right? The standard setting bodies are industry generated usually, or at the very minimum, they exist primarily through the force of industry participants. Well, if they're able to do that, they should also get together and discuss transparency norms and licensing structures. And they have to be careful how they do all of that to make sure they comply with antitrust laws. In a free market economy, you should let the market participants figure out how best to market and bring to market their technologies. Andre, we've talked a lot about having strong IP rights and obviously having minimal regulation from government. What do you think the future now holds? I'm a strong believer in the innovation ecosystem. I think human beings naturally are inclined to create and humans will, if not inhibited, will be creative. And having a robust system of intellectual property laws, having a robust rule of law that people can rely on, I think that will go a long way to maximize the creativity of human beings. I'm very optimistic because at every turn since the first industrial revolution, innovators have broken through in country after country around the world. And look where we are now. We are creating more innovation now than ever before. And next year, I'm certain that the world will create even more innovation than in any other year before then. I get the pleasure, Andre, of asking you the really difficult question. We've had a very broad-ranging conversation, but what would you say your cipher vision, your key takeaway for listeners would be? Look, I think people need to focus on the importance of the intellectual property ecosystem to the innovation economy. Everybody needs to realize that innovation and IP are inextricably linked. And you cannot have a strong innovation economy without a robust intellectual property ecosystem. Once we understand the connection of those two things, the importance of the rule of law to the investment in innovation and to the innovation and creativity in itself, once we understand that connection, I think everything else falls into place for 100 years. You often hear the aphorism that the only constant is change. In the world of patents, this change comes from all directions, pandemics, geopolitics, connectivity, standard essential patents, and disruptive technologies such as AI, quantum computing, and the biotechnology revolution. So the big question is how should governments and regulators react? Move too quickly, you risk fixing something that's not broken and with unintended consequences. 
But without someone at the helm, there is a risk that a patent system developed for the first industrial revolution simply can't cope with today's pace and quantity of innovation. Thank you, Andre, for sharing your perspectives and for the reminder that patents are property and that strong patents are essential to encourage investment in technology and collaboration between both companies and countries. Thank you, Andre, for the conversation. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you for tuning into the Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episode on innovation, not regulation. <laughs>